Greetings. Welcome to the Allow Me to Clarify podcast. If you have been a listener, welcome back. I'm so glad you continue to come back and please do leave me a rating, leave me a review, send me a message, whatever method feels best to you. I really would love to hear your feedback and understand why you do continue to come back so I can keep sharing content with you that is actually going to be something you're interested in and something that feels worth listening to. And if you're new here, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that whatever path led you here, you have found this podcast and your people, people who are open-minded, people who are heart-centered, people who have decided to really turn off the ego turn off the conditioning, suspend the attachment to societal expectations and all of the, you know, humanness of this 3D world we live in and are really showing up here with a desire to learn and explore their own lives as well as hearing from those who have actually experienced this themselves already, who people who are really deciding to live life on their own terms and live in a way that's more curious and open-minded than judgment-based. I think that is so valuable and something that all of us can learn from. And that's why my goal here is to really make sure that I'm bringing on people who have a variety of experiences. I think there's value to be found in all flavors of learning how to live an empowered life in alignment with your true authentic self. So I hope and feel you must, at least on some level, have some interest in those topics as well if you are here. And this episode will not disappoint if that is the case. I've got John Latta on the podcast today. He's been on his spiritual journey for, gosh, years at this point, 20 plus years. And he's really an interesting and, in my opinion, underrepresented person in the spiritual community. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to have this conversation and share it with you guys. He's somebody who fully is living with one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the quote unquote normal world. He didn't drop his whole life and move to an ashram and cut ties with every person he ever knew in order to tap into the depth of his spirituality. He really allowed it to gradually grow and evolve and immerse itself into his everyday life over time and not without hardship, I will say. Um, So I think you're really going to find his story to be interesting as well as relatable, which again, I think is an underrepresented type of person in the spiritual community today. We tend to see very extreme examples, or I do at least on Instagram or TikTok or wherever you're you're, uh, viewing the web these days. Um, And John is really just a good example of someone who's embodying his own divine nature while still living a quote unquote normal life which I think a lot of us, that's what turns a lot of us off in the first place. It's like, I don't even want to explore this spirituality thing because it just feels like another extreme thing. And it doesn't have to be. So this is a really helpful episode for anybody just interested in stories like this. John's got some 
pretty amazing gifts that he's tapped into intuitively over the years. So that's fascinating as well as, again, this is going to be really insightful for people who are in a space where they maybe feel that little inkling that there is something more, there is something deeper. Wow. I am. I having these dreams that are actually coming true. Wow. That's interesting. I'm experiencing deja vu a lot. Wow. I'm feeling this really strong calling to do this thing that I think is completely irrational, but feels very aligned with what I actually desire. You know, whatever it is, I think this is going to be a really helpful episode for you to listen to. And if not helpful, then curiosity peaking. <laughs> so we're going to dive into his entire story and kind of how this journey began for him, which I also, again, think is very helpful to note from the relatability aspect of like, he didn't go seeking this necessarily. It kind of just happened and he allowed it to unfold as it was going to. So I think you guys are going to really find this episode to be interesting. If you do, please leave me a rating, a review. Again, you can always shoot me a message on Instagram, send me an email. All of my info is going to be in the notes section as well as John's. Please go check out what he's doing if you enjoy this conversation as well. He has so many amazing offerings to share, including his book, The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. And he also has a retreat coming up at the end of February, I believe. It's on his website. Again, the link will be in the notes section. So definitely give this one a listen. Let me know if you like it. If you do, then please stick around because I think it will be worth a subscription. I know there's going to be many more episodes like this, but with different information to share. And that's always my goal. Please, again, share your feedback. Let me know what you're wanting to hear. And I will stop talking now so you can listen to the actual episode. But enjoy and I will see you on the other side. Hi, John. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Hey, Claire. Thank you for the invitation. I'm super happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited for today's conversation. I, I think any story of spiritual transformation and, you know, tapping into your gifts for the first time is always going to be interesting on some level. But I personally really appreciate that you also have this relatability in your story, mm-hmm. uh, which by that, I mean, I, I think so many of us, you know, we see on Instagram or just, we hear about these stories of people navigating that wild ride and just having to, or choosing to burn down their former lives in the whole process of it. Like I'm going to pack up everything and move to Tulum and yeah. shed every layer of who I was prior to this and burn every bridge that I ever had, um, you know, which is what is necessary for some people or works yeah. for some people. But I think there's something so valuable about the less shared about stories of yeah. the everyday person who still maintains their life, you know, or at least a semblance of it and allows that evolution to happen naturally without burning every bridge in existence. (laughs) No, that's a great comment. Um, And I can't believe you said that because somebody just a week or two ago said, you're a very relatable spiritual teacher. So I'll take that. That's kind of cool. You know, it's funny. I, when everything started to happen, 
the pull to do exactly what you talked about, to ditch everything, kind of run away. I, you know, I've talked to a lot of interesting people over the years, people that do readers and past lives. And, and the summary is some version of, oh my God, you've been a monk in so many past lives, you make me ill. <laughs> and and some have said, and it's true, it's like, but in this lifetime, you're expected to go through this transformation as a regular Joe. And uh, and it's not been comfortable. There's this feeling where I am always feel like I'm straddling two worlds. And the pull to go to one or the other and not manage them both has been difficult. But it's interesting, um, the very first spiritual teacher I had a uh, very popular teacher, very eminent uh, medical doctor back in, in California in the 70s, wrote a best-selling book called Joy's Way, A Map for the Transformational Journey. And his uh, name was Dr. William Brew Joy, and he went by his middle name, Brew. His, he had this, it was really funny, his sort of awakener, his teacher was, you know, from outward appearances, a kind of overweight middle-aged woman who lived in a very modest part of Van Nuys, California, Smoked, liked to argue, very intelligent, divorced, secretary, raising two boys. And but she could shift into whenever she needed to or when she was teaching into what he called Christ consciousness and could just fill a room with love that would just make people swoon. And she knew everything about everybody in that moment. And then sometime later, she'd go back to just being Eunice. <laughs> Yes. It was really hard to contend with this amazing woman who by outward appearances was somebody just very ordinary. And so um, I this has been, a, in some ways, I want to say a difficult lifetime for me because some part of me still wants to, I don't know if I call it live in the ashram, but, you know, be the, the traveling monk, you know, that just wanders around uh, sharing spiritual teaching, sharing love and to get married, get divorced, raise kids, have a job, have a company, you know, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. I obviously have a, a very different path than you. I was never a single father, you know, (laughs) and I can so relate to what you're saying with, I, I did quit my job and I, you know, have switched careers and, and really changed how I show up in the world in a lot of ways, but on the other hand, same. I, I feel yeah. there's that desire to still preserve this, you know, human version of who I am and, yeah. and this, you know, Claire, who my soul has intentionally decided to be in this yeah. lifetime. And I think there's value to that quote unquote normalcy. Yeah. Because I do believe there's that's, you know, the role that we're kind of playing here is we're able to relate to the everyday person who maybe would not be interested or find these topics or this, this space within themselves. Yeah. If they didn't have, you know, a trusted, relatable person to share it with them. I think it's really hard to relate to the person who picks up and leaves. Yeah. If, if you are living this, you know, life with a nine to five job and you have a full family to feed and you're like, yeah. I literally don't have time to even consider that as a possibility. Yeah. No, I, you nailed it. It's a, it's a beautiful, you know, and I, I think, I believe that where mankind is going is not so much a split between the human and the divine, you might say, but to try and bring them together. And I think that's the real work is um, you might say, 
how can I bring God into the life I'm living here right now, rather than ditching it all to go seek God. And um, yeah, and I, I actually really think that that's where mankind is going, is more and more divinity into this lifetime, into this body right here, right now. And I'm not taking anything away from those who choose to go to retreats, you know, for years at a time and ashrams and the cave and the woods. And in some ways, I think that's actually more effective for transformation. It's it's harder to transform in the context of your day-to-day life. <laughs> it's really hard. Yes, it is. Yeah. But I, I think that's the challenge for all of us is how can we transform without necessarily packing everything up and leaving and starting all over, which again, I'm not criticizing at all. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I think that's the challenge. So. No, I, I can really appreciate that. And I agree. No criticism towards anyone, even, yeah. you know, if you are not trying to go through a spiritual transformation either, yeah. that's fine yeah. as well. Yeah. I, I agree. I just think it's a less, it's a less talked about path. And yeah. I think it's, it is what turns a lot of people off to this world. It feels, it can feel like from the outside. And I know that I, prior to going through my own spiritual journey or starting it, I should say, like, I know that I fell into the camp of people who was like pretty turned off by it. It felt like another version of just extremism Yeah, <laughs> that we already see plenty of in this world that we're living in, in 2023. Um, and I think having people living the example who are still, you know, holding a job within society, raising a family, interacting with people and not like having to bring up their latest ayahuasca journey or something like that (laughs) in every conversation. I think there's a value to that. So I'm really glad for you to be here. And I think what's coming up immediately for me that I think would be really helpful for listeners is to just kind of hear about the start of that journey, the early stages in your spiritual awakening. I know you've mentioned to me, you were a very logical, rational, you know, competitive person. Like you're living very much in your masculine archetype. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really curious what that felt like for you when you did start Mm -hmm. to feel the inklings of this spirituality and love and intuition and all of that Uh coming online. (laughs) Well, um, that's a really good question. Uh, let's see, where do I begin? So, I, you know, um, the short version is uh, I had a very human experience of everything going wrong all at the same time in my life in a short period of time. So my wife got cancer, completely out of left field, unexpected, short period of time, took out her entire thyroid gland, has to live on a synthetic thyroid hormone for the rest of her life now. She started to change, reading books about God and meaning of life, went very within and was kind of reviewing her own life. The same time I left my very secure job, which I was really good at, started my own company, lost all of our money and a whole bunch more, and was $650,000 in personal debt and a quarter million in personal credit card debt. Um, And then at the same time, I don't know where it came from. I had this terrifying fear of death and I'd never confronted death, thought about death before. I was a part-time Catholic at best when I was really young, but didn't really go to church, didn't really pay attention. And so I didn't even know who to talk to. And I was probably too proud as the sort of competitive, rational male to talk to anybody about what happens when you die. And so all I could picture was when the body goes, that's the end. It's over forever. It's oblivion. 
And that terrified me, but I didn't have anybody to talk to. In the middle of it all, my wife decides she wants a whole new life and leaves. And now I'm a single dad with custody of my two kids, ages nine and 11, a company that's one hair's breadth away uh, from going bankrupt every single day. And I'm overnight suddenly was feeling like a superstar. Now I'm feeling like bad husband, bad dad, bad businessman, and a grown man who's terrified of death and running around behind closed doors. And so you might say that is how my journey began, but I would never have described it at that point. Like, oh, that's, you know, but I, my favorite author at the time was Michael Crichton and Michael Crichton had read a lot of, written a lot of best-selling fictional books and made TV shows and movies and but a lot of people don't know he wrote a nonfiction book called Travels, and in it, he shared his own journey, including he himself at a young age went through a big midlife crisis at the age of 30, for God's sakes. And I remember reading about he decided, and it was difficult for him too, a very intelligent, rational male, he signed up for his first ever spiritual retreat. And for somebody who was anti-spiritual, I kept reading that story over and over again. So I. Um, after reading it for, I'm not kidding, Claire, maybe the hundredth time, I threw the book down, ran to my computer. So I wonder if this brew guy is still teaching because Michael Crichton went to it 20 years earlier and there he was alive, still teaching. It looked like he was teaching the exact same thing that Michael Crichton had gone to 20 years earlier. I signed up right on the spot. And weirdly, um, I justified the $2,000, like I'm already $650,000 in debt. Another $2,000 isn't going to matter if I go bankrupt. Right. Um, like the last ditch effort at this yeah. point. But then the synchronicities began. And I had a highly uh, logical math mind that was really good at calculating probabilities. And things kept happening that were out of the realm of probability. Uh, as I flew to the retreat, I was nervous and the plane touches down. I look over and the woman next to me is reading Brew's book. And the only two people going to this retreat out of 180 people on this plane are me and her. I mean, what are the chances of that? And, you know, right and I'm next like, to each other. yeah, sitting right next to each other. And the nice thing was she was this sweet little grandmother from Kalispell, Montana. And we were checking each other out. And it was like, well, you look normal. Well, you look normal too. Well, I'm nervous. Well, I'm nervous too. Well, okay, we'll sit by each other. You know, <laughs> it was really sweet. And <clears throat> so I go to the retreat. I'm there for 10 days and nothing happens the way I think it's going to happen. Although the retreat itself, the structure was almost identical to what Michael Crichton had gone through. Um, but I had a completely different experience from him. And I didn't have a lot of crazy spiritual experiences. But what happened to begin with was I hadn't realized how much I kept other people at a distance. And so uh, learning to be vulnerable, learning to be intimate, learning to be take off the mask, learning to be honest. Oh, I, I'd never witnessed that before. I'd never seen it before. And, you know, and it was a really beautiful thing. And it was so beautiful. It was almost hard to re-enter the real world when it was all done. So <laughs> I think that is such a, totally unspoken about topic, like yeah. coming back to yeah. the world after yeah. being on a retreat is yeah. such a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> there needs to be like a, another weekend added for integration. <laughs> yeah. I wish he might, he might've said it, but I missed it. I wish he would have told me that. And I did learn that since, and, and you know, I, I haven't been to lots and lots, but I've been to some others and I'm like, I always give myself a day for re-entry, you know? Yes. And, Never uh, jump straight back in to <laughs> your real life. If you can add a little buffer in there. Yeah, exactly. 
And so um, let's see, I'm trying to get back to your question. So I, what really struck me there was compassion. By the time I was done, I had compassion for myself, compassion for other people, compassion for my ex-wife. And there wasn't this sense of rage and grief. Um, like I just, some part of me is like, it's going to be okay. I don't know how the hell it's going to be okay. Because I had all the same problems when I came home, but they all just felt a little bit lighter somehow. And um, so the next two stages in the journey that were very significant, one was Brew taught a lot about dreams and said that dreams were sacred, encouraged people to ask for dreams, encouraged people to write down, record their dreams, pay attention to their dreams. And it took a couple of weeks roughly before the dreams started coming forth to me where I started to remember them and write them down. Then I confronted the next big challenge in dream work is what the hell does all this mean? This all looks like Alice in Wonderland, you know? Yes. Like, I don't really know how to interpret this. And so, but I joined a dream forum with some really wise people and uh, I learned a lot. And so I, you might say I learned the language of dreams. I learned the language of my dreams. Uh, and then came the real big shift. And um, I can't remember if I shared the story with you, but two years into my journey, um, mind you, my business was not losing money anymore, but it wasn't getting better. So you might say I kind of flatlined for two years. It wasn't getting yeah. worse, but it wasn't getting better. Hanging by a thread every day, trying to maintain a normal life as a dad with my kids and everything. And then I got the opportunity because my new company was a consumer products company. And we made uh, you know natural, biodegradable, environmentally friendly cleaning products and pet products, You know, dog shampoos and things like that. I got the chance to go onto QVC, the home shopping network, and never been on live TV. And they said, you're going to have 700,000 new people every minute. And I was like, holy moly. You're like, I and, don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and so I got on. I didn't screw up. I sold a moderate amount of product, not a ton, but not a little either. Go back to my hotel room in Philadelphia when it was over and I can't sleep. I've got all this joy in my body and I can't figure out why. And I'm assuming it's because I didn't screw up on TV and I was kind of anxious about it. And anyway, right around, and I, but I'm like, God, I have to get up at five in the morning to fly home, but my body's still on West Coast time. So I'm just laying there. And finally around midnight, I'm just sort of dozing, but not sleeping. And all of a sudden I have this, poof, what feels like an orgasm in my root chakra. And oh I'm like, gosh. what the heck, you know, and it, it permeates this, my whole body with this tingly bliss. I'm like, what the hell was that? You know? Yeah. What is going on? Is this yeah. normal? No, well, <laughs> Am I awake? <laughs> um, and then a few minutes later, it happens again. And a few minutes later, it happens again and again. And it goes on for what I recollect to be a few hours, like let's say from roughly midnight to 3 a.m. And the little part-time Catholic boy in me is like going, what the hell is going on? You know? And it kind of felt like something out there was coming into me. I mean, I couldn't really perceive it. But another part of me is like, I don't know, but it sure feels good. Yes. Like, yeah. am I being possessed? If this is possession, I'm not as offended by it as I thought I would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was certainly incredibly pleasurable. I, I called it like orgasmic honey. And so I fly home the next day with basically no sleep. And I email the people I'd gone to the retreat with two years earlier thinking, well, they might know what it is. And they said, well, it sounds like Kundalini. Look it up. Yep. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? I, I didn't even know what the word meant. I, so I looked it up. I bought a book. I went, oh, okay, that does sound good. And I got, 
a lot of peace because I figured out pretty quickly that most cultures have a name for something like this. And, you know, it's just their name for a lot of energy, let's just call it. Yep. You know, and, um, and so I felt like, oh, okay. And a lot of people actually are desiring it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to roll with this. And so for the next six months in particular, but it went on for years afterwards, every night, tuck my kids in the bed, try to live a normal life. And um, the second or every second or third night, here would come the energy again. And it would be waves of bliss and beauty and sometimes incredible visions, sometimes really painful energy. There was times it felt like I got hit with those heart paddles, you know, like for cardiac arrest. Uh, There was, you know, there were things that the books on Kundalini didn't talk about. Like I could feel energy entering the palm of my left hand and traveling across my chest and out my right palm. Uh, it, it was hard to describe. It was just like every second or third night, like I, in some ways, looking back, I think my entire body was going through an overhaul, but yeah. I didn't know it at the time. I just You're like knew. completely regenerating. You've opened yourself up to yeah. just a yeah. massive release, which yeah. needs to be replenished in some way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that was my life. And, and so again, just trying to straddle those two worlds of being a dad, coaching my kids' teams, helping with after-school activities and homework, trying to run my company. And I think the biggest fear the whole time was because some of the Kundalini books, uh, you know, some people went through some really difficult times. There was, And there were times, sometimes the energy does feel like a blowtorch on the inside. Um, and sometimes, you know, it was hard to function in the world. And that was my biggest fear was that I was not going to be able to be a dad or a businessman. And I was going to all fall apart because of that. But it never happened. Like the energy had an incredible intelligence of its own. It knew exactly how far to push me, exactly when to pull back and just like, we're going to leave him alone. He can sleep for a couple of nights. And then then they'd be like, oh, I kind of miss the energy now. Yeah, he's <laughs> ready. Would, he's ready. I would come back. And, and then the weird thing is, um, uh, well, it's probably true in countless past lives. A lot of what was happening to me was probably normal in this life with my limited memory in this life. This was all new. All the words were new. I was definitely walking the path of the fool, stumbling into all these things that I didn't know about. And I had not gone to tons of spiritual retreats or read spiritual books or anything. So it was all new. And that's what made it really enthralling, exciting, and sometimes really scary and terrifying too. Um, And then in the middle of it all, you might say, uh, I became a healer. And without going to the Reiki classes, and this energy would move through me on behalf of other people in random places, like in restaurants and things like that. And so that was a long, I don't know if I answer your question, but there was never a like a shift like, oh, I'm going to be spiritual now. It was sort of like, now what the heck is happening is really... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds like almost, you know, for lack of a better word, it chose to tap into you and, and you accepted it. You accepted the invitation and kind of rolled with it, despite how scary that must've been. I mean, I think to your point as cool and interesting and pleasurable as it probably was, and you're like, probably seeing it show up in your day-to-day life as well, not just in your sleep, like, oh, wow, like things are actually starting to shift in, yeah. in small but noticeable ways in the direction I'd want them to. There's also that 
you know, loneliness, aloneness, I guess that comes with that as well of nobody else is going through this uh, with me or that I'm aware of, or that I can talk to the books to your point, aren't even speaking to this. I I think that probably had to be really scary. That's really intuitive on your part. And, uh, and I, that's actually a really good description because I had my foot planted in the business world and a foot planted in the dad parent world. Um, and this other foot planted in a whole different world and precious few people to talk to about it. And uh, what kept me company was two or three people I'd met at that retreat, the kind of sort of, I stayed in contact with that I could talk to uh, that dream forum was helpful because actually I had a lot of profound dreams during that whole Kundalini energy experience too. Um, and a lot of books that people had written kept me company. Like I would read people having similar experiences and it gave me a lot of peace, you know, um, around that time, I had this really profound dream, uh, that probably speaks to that loneliness that you're talking about. And, uh, I was having night after night of the same dream. I'm I'm somewhere like on vacation and I'm having a great time. I'm snorkeling in Hawaii or I'm skiing. You know, it's just, I'm having fun. And there was always this woman talking, tapping me on the back on my shoulder saying, John, it's time to go home. John, it's time to go home. John, it's time to go home. And in every dream, I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. And finally, after I don't know how many dozens of it's time to go home and me rejecting it, came the dream where I said, okay, I'm ready to go home. Poof, everything shifts. I leave my vacation place, you know, that I'm at, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere. It feels like rolling hills or meadows, right? And there are three paths in front of me. The left-hand path has tons of people on it, almost like a freeway, no cars, but just tons of people on it. The right-hand path is hidden in like smoke, you might say, and it's I'm almost going to call it the spiritual path. It's shrouded in mystery, I guess you could say. There's people here too, not as many, but there's people there too. And in front of me is a middle path, a middle way with not a soul on it. And I got all my stuff and I'm walking down the middle path. And so I, it's, you know, I'd heard this term, the middle way or the middle path before, but I, I looked it up and the Dalai Lama, a lot of Buddhists kind of promote that as a path where you've got a foot in I'm, I'm in a spiritual world and one in the, the day-to-day world. And that's been my path. And, and it has been difficult, not so much today because I think I'm used to it, but it was difficult at first because I really wanted to be in one or the other. I didn't want to be walking this path down the middle. And uh, I used to say all the time, why can't I be like Billy Bob, you know, just grabs his Budweiser and goes bass fishing with his buddies. And that's his whole life. And he's so happy with that. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. I so feel that. Yeah. So that's, that's been my path. I think trying to bring those two together has also been part of my journey, but I didn't know it at the time, but everything in my life started to shift again after that dream. And, and I think, you know, if you think of home, like capital H, it's almost like you're returning to God. Now you're returning to source. Now you're returning to where you were before you started uh, this embodiment and so, yeah, that's, that's been the path is kind of straddling the two worlds. And it's, 
it's awesome, but I'm not saying for me, it's been easy. I'm a, I'm a single focus male. I just want to be here. Or I want to be here. <laughs> yes. No, it's definitely not easy. And I also, I, I had chills the whole time you were telling that story about uh, the dream. Like that's so powerful. And to your point, a pretty, a pretty clear indicator of what it was telling you and, and yeah. the message coming through there. Yeah. And going back to kind of your earlier point, I, I wonder what your opinion is on this. If part of what has allowed this path to, you know, I don't want to say become easier, but just for you to get more comfortable with it and feel like you can live in both worlds and, and move through it with more ease and less resistance is just that vulnerability piece Mm -hmm. early on to your point, you, you had only the, the couple people from that retreat that you felt like you probably could be as vulnerable as you needed to be during this time of like, you know, quote unquote, weird things happening to you. Like the normal average person is not ready to talk about wild Kundalini dreams that you didn't ask to come on. Um, And so I wonder if just over time, you're, I mean, you're literally here by choice on this podcast. You have a book about this topic and these, this journey. So it's like, clearly you have opened up to sharing it in a bigger way. Yeah. So I wonder if that shift into allowing the vulnerability to kind of penetrate your everyday life has, has made it easier for lack of a better word. Um, Yes. God, you're very intuitive. You ask great questions. Oh, thank I've you. I've on like 50 podcasts <laughs> and you've asked some really cool, unique questions. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm so glad. Um, yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, the honest, what, what has happened over 20 years, and it's not been easy for me, is to go into that vulnerability and that honesty with trust. And so it's like, what's, happened the most for me, I'm learning to trust. Now, I still, I, it's not been easy for me either. I, I figured out pretty quick, like you don't go telling your Kundalini experiences to everybody. <laughs> My very yeah. Catholic mother was just sure it was the devil, you know, it's like, I don't think it was the devil, mom. <laughs> you know? It's not going to get received very well by yeah. uh, the so, average you Catholic. Know, there's still the sense of discernment in the right situation, other individuals, other groups of people. But um, yeah, feeling brave enough to just, this is my journey, you know? And, um, and you know, looking back, there was lots and lots of things that happened along the way that I think that were uh, encouraging me, I think, to go down that path and just trust, you know? You know, you don't have to have a lot of ego attached to it, and you don't have to have a lot of fear attached to it. It's just like this has been my experience, you know. And I, I think I want to. Part of the reason I wrote the book is I want to talk to all those rigid, rational, competitive males and women, you know, uh, out there. Um, that uh, if you think you know it all, you probably don't, <laughs> and it just. You know, if you get a chance, open your heart, open your mind. There's so much more out there. And I'm continually amazed at how much more is out there. And um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question very well. Uh, no, I love it. That's yeah, that's perfect. Say, oh, 
A story I wanted to tell you about how difficult it has been for me to be open, honest, vulnerable about, you know, the highs and lows of this journey. Um, in 2003, uh, somebody introduced me to Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, and I was really enamored with it. I still am today. I still think that that's a book that applies to life, not just to, you know, budding artists or blocked creatives. And it's an amazing book. And so in the middle of reading that book and learning about it, kind of exploring my creativity, and you have to remember is this sort of rigid, rational male who was the son of two parents whose father was a Marine and an engineer and whose mother was a stay-at-home mom, but none of them had the slightest inkling towards what I would call art or creativity. And I think it was kind of dismissed, like, oh, people go to college nowadays to learn basket weaving. You can't get a job learning basket weaving, you know? So that I probably picked some of that up. And so here I'm exploring art and creativity probably for the first time in my life. And weirdly, out of the blue, I get a whole book downloaded into me and never had that experience before. Like it was like, poof, in one second, an entire fictional novel. I knew the title of the book. I knew where I was set. I knew who all the characters were. I knew what they were going to do. And I was all excited. And I, 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 it was set in a town that's about a half hour from here. And I drove out to the town like a good journalist. I took a bunch of notes and I went back and I typed up eight pages the first day. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool, you know? And the next day I got up to read what I wrote the day before and I hated it. It was like being drunk and like waking up the next morning to, with somebody in bed, like, oh my God, what did I do? You know, what have I done? <laughs> what have I yes. done? Who is this person? You know, and there was that much resistance to, because uh, in the story I was writing, I was writing myself into the story and I could see all, you could say all of John, all the parts of self and John, and I realized I was exposing myself to the world in a way I never had before. And so that story went into the drawer for 10 years. And so it's been almost, I would say, literally a 20-year journey to get to the point where it's okay to just share. This is just my journey. I'm not afraid of it anymore, you know, and it's taken that long. So I, I uh, you know, I learned a lot from that book, The Artist's Way, about how artists and people in all walks of life, when they try to make a new change, can self-sabotage and because they're too quick to share their insights and their journey and their new changes. And, you know, I had to learn, like, I'm not going to talk about the Kundalini energy to very many people because in a way it kind of was sabotaging it for me. And it was a very sacred and beautiful thing to me. Yeah, I was going to say the word sacred actually came to me as well. When yeah. it, like, just you do learn that, I think, very early on, usually in the spiritual journey, whatever the path looks like for you, you want to share it with everybody. I talk about this all the time with people, like everybody who's been on some version of a spiritual awakening journey knows the beginning stages where you're like, I need everyone to experience the glory that is this amazing (laughs) divine thing that I've literally never tapped into. This is magical. And, you know, on one hand, yes, it's incredible. And I do still hope that everybody can get to experience and everybody's not ready to hear these things or experience these things, nor do they want to necessarily. And There is some discernment that you learn, hopefully some people don't learn, but, you know, typically when you do share these stories and you feel the energy, just a block going up with the other person or that resistance is there and you're like, 
oh, wow, I probably should have kept that to myself. And a lot of the time it is kind of those more sacred experiences that really we just, whether people are open to hearing it or not, sometimes we can't articulate it in our human language. <laughs> like, I agree. I totally agree. Their words are entirely inadequate most of the time. Yes. Yeah. And, and those are the things that I think we have to kind of pause and say, is this worth sharing yeah. or does, is this a sign that this is actually, this is for me, yeah. this is for me to keep. And what am I trying to get out of having this be a shared experience with somebody else? Yeah. Uh, in the early days, I think it was a combination of almost like trying to unload something. I just feel like I need to unload it. And, and, and at the same time, I think there were times that I was, I don't know if showing off is the right word, but oh, look what happened to me this time because a lot was happening to me. And um, so, yeah, I think both things were true. You know, I wanted to kind of tag on to something you said earlier and this. So in some ways now looking back, I this is why I, I tell people at times, sometimes when you're in it, you don't know what's going on. But in retrospect, it always makes perfect sense. And when I look back in the last 20 years, so many aspects of my life were carefully orchestrated. Boom, boom, boom. Right timing, right place, you know. And <clears throat> so probably around 2017, I had this really profound dream where uh, a Russian woman who's a spiritual teacher who I knew of but didn't, know, I mean, I hadn't like I'd worked with her or anything, shows up in a dream and says, John, you need to get a reading from me, uh, but not now. Wait six months. And I'm like, Okay, so I look her up online, find her. She does readings, and um, and I booked it for six months later, which I think was April of 2018. And so we get on the reading, and and Eugenia Oganova is her name, and she came into this lifetime wide awake, full memory of all her past left lifetimes, unbelievably psychic and clairvoyant, like so much so that she said. Um, where you and I might look across a room and see empty space. She goes, Oh no, there's so much going on. My lesson was to learn physical is something you bump into. So really been, you know, she could write a really interesting book about her life growing up, but anyway, here's this woman. I really don't know. And she's like, okay, why did you schedule this reading? I said, cause I had a dream and, uh, and she goes, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, well, I, I'm kind of curious about past lives. And she goes, poof past lives are too small for you. She's got that kind of distinct curt Russian, you know. And uh, anyway, she goes on to this big deal about uh, all the way back to my origin. And I've had other embodied existences in other places, not just as a human here on earth. And she explained to me, well, I heard the word. I hadn't really paid attention to it. She goes, you know, I forget the number, but I think she said about 10% of all the souls here on earth are what we call star seeds or light workers. And they've had other embodied existences throughout the cosmos, not just as a human being here on planet earth. And they're what we would call old souls and they're here to serve. And they all serve in their own way. The most common star seed missions are teacher and healer, but there's a whole bunch of different ways to, to serve. And she said, in a way, we are like undercover agents that are here to do work. But she said, normally uh, what happens, and, and I was a classic example of this, you're kind of the unconscious human who's having the experience of being a human, but then is expected to wake up later and, and give back. And she goes, you know, for years in France, you could go to a major university 
and say, I want to research some you know, unusual subject. Can I use your library? And I'll need it for a couple of years. And they said, yes, we'll give you access to our library for free for two years, but you have to promise to teach when you're done. And so she explained, this is what the Starseed mission is for almost all these older souls here on Earth. And it's a huge number, like 750 million, where we have our human life, we learn about it, then we wake up and remember, oh, we're not really a human. And, uh, and now, based on our experience having human life, how can we give back and help? And whereas there's more of us here than normal because the Earth itself is going through this whole ascension process. And... You know, it, I, I kind of heard about this loosely on the internet, but it was kind of hear, cool hearing it saying with so much distinct Russian directness, like, this is how it is. <laughs> yes. And, and so what I, that's, you know, um, that's been my journey. You know, the, the unconscious guy who woke up and, uh, and his life has been shifting for the last 20 years. And um Boy, I would. I, that's why I put my arm around people and say, "I'm not spiritual. I don't believe that shit." Well, I didn't either. So, <laughs> who knows what'll happen with you tomorrow? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I know. I always struggle with. Uh, I I feel so similarly. I was the person, like I said earlier, like I was the person that would have looked at this and been like, "Okay, whatever. These people <laughs> are crazy." Um, and that's fine if that's where you're at. Like I get it, and I think as I've my short time on this journey, like I have really started to even question the word believe, like to your point of believing in spirituality, believing in like astrology, human design, those things, those tools that I use, anything like that. It's to me, it's like, it's just not about believing in it or not. It's about experiencing it. Yeah. And the lessons that you are learning from it, what, what are you pulling from this experience? And yeah. if it's triggering some reaction within you, positive or negative, isn't that still teaching you something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, to me, it's just, we get so caught up to your point of the rational mind and the, the logical human thought process. It's just, it's so easy to get caught up in, but why? I need to understand <laughs> the proof behind it, the evidence behind it. And it's a part of actually experiencing the fullness of spirituality and these gifts and all of that is, is really kind of allowing yourself to suspend that disbelief. And that's when you actually experience the fullness and the depth of what it yeah. has to offer, which is, you know, that's the piece that I think people are like, oh, I have to believe it for it to work. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. do. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I have a friend of mine named Tom Kenyon, who's um, a sound healer and world renowned. And he would do prior to COVID two or three events a year where I went to one of them and I couldn't believe there was 500 people there from all around the world. And, you know, he's an amazing man who has a nearly four octave voice. And so you might say the beings out there, everything from archangels to you name it, uses his voice to transform consciousness at the level of sound and vibration for large groups. But I really, what I love about him is he's got a really grounded, funny, self-deprecating sense of humor. And it's like, as he likes to say, 
I frequently get uh, marooned on the island of logic. <laughs> and I'm like the same way. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, the things that happen to him just crack me up. And and so if I understand his path in the early days, um, he was a psychologist and he was kind of following the path of Tibetan Buddhism. And I think in that path, um, there is no out there. You know, there isn't something. And so, but, and he was also a psychologist. And so he was aware of a lot of what we see and perceive as just uh, our own psyche. It's our own lived lifetime experience. And so anyway, he encounters these fifth through ninth dimensional beings that come to him and say, we are the Hathors. We come with great love for humanity. And, you know, we were here 5,000 years ago and helped seed things in Egypt and, and we're here to help you on this journey because earth is going through a great transformation herself. And, and he's like, what, you know? And so, and he kind of pushed him away for a while and he was working with a client and the Hathors popped in to his mind's eye and said, you know, if you play these sounds tone, sound tones, it'll help speed up his, his, um, his healing. And it worked. And so he started believing, but he still couldn't get over. Like he thought his own consciousness was making this up. And he was like, I need you to like prove to me that you're outside of me, that you have an independent existence, not something you just made up in my head. And they, I forget, he was out in this field and all of a sudden he sees this like light rising up, you know, from the, the meadows. And, and so, yeah, I think, um, if you're more like I tend to be more mentally oriented, more left brain oriented, more logic, desperate to explain, desperate to process, uh, it's harder to kind of suspend that belief, you know, and to open your mind and heart. And that's still a part of my journey now. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, life can actually get along just fine without you thinking about it, John. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm right there with you. I, I tend to be far more intellectually minded. Like I yeah. love making sense of things. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I'm such a curious person that I think yeah. that's part of the reason why I'm so drawn to spirituality and these yeah. intangible parts of life that we, we can't make human sense of. Yeah. We can sense them using our senses, but we cannot make sense of them, if that yeah. makes sense. So it's, yeah, I very much feel that. And I so appreciate when people like you and like your friend and just anybody who is kind of more quote unquote normal, you know, a yeah. grounded <laughs> average person yeah. goes through something so undeniable like this that... Yeah it, it forces you <laughs> to, to really open your mind, whether you want to or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I'm not sure I wanted to open my mind. In fact, it's so funny. I remember sitting with my wife before she got cancer. I remember sitting in bed talking about another couple and I said very confidently to her, Oh, people don't change. Ha boy. The universe was about to have a big laugh at that. <laughs> All yeah, people don't really change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they do. And sometimes in entirely unexpected and sometimes unasked for ways, you know, what you said, like, I do think it's helpful to go into a situation with an open heart and an open mind uh, and at least an open-minded belief, like, well, maybe this is possible. I do think that's helpful, but I still think in the bigger picture, 
you know, some deeper aspect to yourself knows exactly what it's doing. Like I, one of my experiences from a more expanded range of consciousness, kind of that more bird's eye view, where you kind of take in more of the context of everything is like, it's very humbling to realize how little I actually know about anything and how little I actually know about how the interaction I'm having uh, and the effect I'm having on you and the world and everything. And, you know, and when, when you start to see the more bird's eye view or even feel more, it's, you know, um, it's, it's really humbling. It's really humbling to, and, and I, so I think it's, I think from my experience, it's almost an offshoot of the spiritual journey that eventually you're going to arrive at humility, but not, I don't mean by humility, like some meek little small person, but there's awareness that like, you know, it's funny, Brew, my first teacher used to say, uh, I think just trying to get under our skin a little bit, but I think that was by design. He said, you know, psychologists say we're, I forget, 20% conscious and 80% unconscious. He goes, in my experience, we're 99.99999% repeating unconscious. <laughs> and and I and so um, I think part of the human journey is entering this extreme state of limitation but it's how we learn, you know, uh, but from the more expanded view, there's a whole lot more going on than we're ever aware of when we're just normal. <clears throat> Completely agree. And yeah. what's coming up for me when you speak about that humility aspect, because I, I know exactly what you're referencing there, yeah. or I feel like I do from my own perspective. And to me, those flashes of humility come yeah. when you are in that expanded consciousness. You are so open to all of the infinite potentials yeah. that exist that your ego literally just has no argument. It can't yeah. say anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I do feel like that it, the ego piece of us, the mind piece of us that needs to make sense of things and needs evidence and needs <laughs> needs it to be rational so that yeah. you don't feel like you're the odd man out and you fit in and you can talk about this stuff without being judged. And um, I think when we do allow our ourselves to kind of get to that state of connectedness with all things, it, it just quiets that voice to the point yeah. where you just, it, it's, it doesn't even matter what it's saying. It's just chatter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, but sometimes it does chill chatter loudly than others. <laughs> yes. No, that's, that's why I said glimpses yeah. for sure. The glimpses yeah. of humility, because to your point, I think that's a part of the, the straddling one foot in each world journey. Yeah. You, I think something that kind of gets under my skin a little bit is when spiritual teachers or people on the internet, you know, whatever will preach, like we can be in this elevated state a hundred percent of the time. And in my opinion, I, I just think a part of the human experience is that we can't, it yeah. is, it's not to say that we can't strive to. Yeah. I do think though that to your point, there is a grounded aspect to being human. We chose to be humans for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's how we learn the lessons to remind us to continue striving to yeah. want to be in that expanded consciousness state. It's like, 
if I can't come back to human life and get kind of slapped in the face a little bit every now and then with a little spiritual lesson here and there of the parts of <laughs> my humanness that I still need to inspect a little further, then I, when am I, how am I going to, you know, continue growing and evolving into my yeah. own consciousness? <laughs> you know, um, that's a really good point. I, I have a couple things to say about that. When I had that reading with Eugenia, she emphasized, which a lot of people have, um, what makes being a human being really difficult and why for all the souls that have had other embodied existences in all places, being human is like the graduate level course because the range of duality is extreme. And so she was saying, you know, there are people that have had other lifetimes as a Pleiadian. And she goes, but the difference between yin and yang, masculine and feminine, she goes, it's like, and the range of feeling, it's like a minus 10 to plus 10. But in a human, it's like minus 100 to plus 100. And now on the earth today, because we do have these additional star seeds that are collectively trying to help raise the vibration of earth, she says the range of consciousness amongst all souls is so extreme and it's not like that any other place. So there are people that are really, really, really unconscious and some that are very, very, very conscious and the whole spectrum in between. And so uh, my daughter, interestingly, went to Maharishi University in Fairfield, Iowa. It started out Santa Barbara, but they moved to the cornfields of Iowa and um, it is a regular school. My logical mind checked it out. And a lot of really smart people go there, but it's what they call consciousness-based education. And um, they teach on a block method. Uh, they meditate twice a day in these big giant golden domes. You know, uh, they eat organic vegetarian food. But Maharishi, who was, I'm talking about the Maharishi who was with the Beatles back in the 60s and who founded it he was trying to create what he called bliss consciousness. So I'm coming back to this. Can you carry that peaceful bliss everywhere in your life? And so he was creating a, like a conscious intentional community where they were trying to help the students be in that state of bliss more often. And there's a lot of things you can do to maintain that state of bliss. But what I've seen is, and my daughter uh, stayed for six years, got her undergrad, got her master's in Ayurveda there. But the, she's even experiencing that re-entry into the real world. And so I do think it's possible to experience that bliss more often if the environment around you is supportive of it. And that may be where Earth is going, but it could be a thousand years from now. And um, so, um, and I think the real challenge is once that sort of peaceful bliss has been anchored, can you carry it with you out into the outside world? And so it's been a bit of an adjustment for her too, going back to the, you know, she's living in Las Vegas now, for God's sake. So <laughs> that's a shift. That is sure. a shift. Yeah. And, and she's managing it well, 75% of the time, but 25% not so well. And um, so, um, yeah, it's, if bliss is your goal, it can definitely be done, but it probably will require, like we talked at the beginning, a leaving of your current life or friendships or work or interactions or community. And it might require a whole different environmental change, a lot more meditation, might be eating differently, lots of different things. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's my comment on that subject. No, I love that. I think yeah. those are all 
really great points and they make yeah. sense to me for talking yeah. about making sense. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate all of that. And I, I'm with you on, I do think that knowing that those types of communities exist and knowing that there are so many more people, I, I believe from what I can see in my sphere of consciousness that are yeah trying to achieve that level of bliss and working yeah. on themselves and and all of what comes along with that i do think that the world is you know however long that journey is going to take tbd but i do think the world is transitioning into where you're saying yeah like how much of the greater population is experiencing bliss on a regular basis probably not a high percentage at this yeah. point though I do believe the more and more of us that are really making a conscious effort to do so and then bringing it back to the normal world and trying to integrate it into our lives and into those that we come across throughout our lives. I think that that is what is actually going to make that happen. I agree. I I totally believe it's happening. I just not sure I'm going to see the fruit of it in my lifetime. It could be hundreds or thousands of years from now. I mean, from what I understand, this is a really big shift. And, um, uh, but it, I think looking around, even with objective mind, you can see this. I heard somebody say once the world's both getting better and getting worse at the same time. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I see so many positive signs amongst all the terrible stuff, too. But there's just, you know, as somebody who used to be obsessed with, fishing and fly fishing. I love to travel and fish all over the Northwest and the Rocky mountains. Like there's so many um, changes that have taken place with respect to the environment and water quality. And I would call enlightened regulations um, that so many things are better than they used to be. I grew up in Southern California. It was smoggy all the time. It's hardly smoggy at all. Now Um, I'm not saying it's perfect and there's still lots of things, you know, um, I, I do believe, despite, you know, sometimes what you see on social media, I think people largely interact with each other. with just a wee bit more compassion and respect than they used to 50 years ago. Um, so, yeah, I see lots of positive things that are taking place. You know, one thing I wanted to comment on, um, um, I mentioned my friend Tom Canyon, who you know worked with the Hathors for 20 years. And the Hathors said, here's their view of human history. 10,000 years ago, we were largely feminine or matriarchal and the sense of being able to being so uh, relational that there really wasn't a strong individual self. And so we are very interconnected with each other, with nature. Uh, We didn't need verbal language. Uh, Telepathy worked better. And then 5,000 years ago began what they call the age of the autonomous male. And you might say the beginning of the patriarchy. And so what they said is happening today is now we are merging the mature feminine and the mature masculine. And so it's not one or the other anymore. It's can we bring the autonomous male and the relational feminine together uh, in a mature way? That's where planet Earth is going. Yeah, that's a really cool thing to even just consider. And the visual that popped into my mind is a pendulum swinging. Yeah. Just so I think to your point of yes, even how much devastation and tragedy we're seeing blasted in our faces right now. Yeah. 
the other end of that spectrum is equally true. There's also so much good and so much compassion and so much genuine love that is being shared in the world today. Um, And I think that to your point, maybe that is what humans have to experience in order to find that middle point is really seeing and experiencing both ends of the full extremes of that spectrum. Like, did we unfortunately need this level of horrificness to kind of shake us back into consciousness? And a lot of us maybe go on the really extreme end there and forget that we're living in the human world. And there's a way to really find that middle point. Find the the horrificness. The horrificness in my personal life was what got me off, you know, and I I admit, like, looking back, I don't think if nothing bad had happened and I continued along my life, you know, with my job and my wife and my kids, I don't think I would have gone, oh, I think I'm going to try spirituality now. Oh, I think I'm going to try this. Like, I, I, you know, it's kind of a sad thing, but I'm certainly not alone. It's like, great, let's use all this great pain to as an excuse for great inner and outer transformation. And I don't think it has to be that way. Unfortunately, it usually is. And collectively, same way, sometimes horrific collective events bring people together and, you know, and they, I think almost gives them an excuse to shift in a way that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like a catalyst that, you know, getting this bad is, is the only thing that's actually going to, shake us out of the the autopilot lives that a lot of us live yeah (laughs) it's like we we literally had to be shaken out of it yeah i i i try to deny that but the truth is it usually works that way (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i know i i feel that as well um but i do want to give you an opportunity also i've like loved this conversation but i want you to be able to talk about anything that you are doing right now or sharing with the world. Like I'd love for you to just share about your book. I'll obviously put links in the notes section as well, but just anything that you want to share that where people can find you and, and connect with you further. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, So my website is John David Latta. My last name is spelled L A T T A John David Latta.com. Everything is there. Um, I've got a big in-person workshop coming February 25th, um, and I'm calling it Love in Action, uh, Renovating, Rejuvenating, and Revitalizing Your Life. And it's going to be focused on love, self-love, and body love, and how important it is to care for our body now. And probably the most important thing we can do for our spiritual journey now today is to care for the body. Um, so if you have any Seattle area listeners, I, I hope you'll join us. Uh, find more information on the events tab on my website. Uh, my book is called The Synchronicity of Love, Stories That Heal, Transform, and Awaken. It's 119 short, true, and mostly true stories for the last 20 years of my life, some of which we shared today. Um, and uh, you can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and I found out recently Target and Walmart. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love to hear that new other big sellers are holding your book. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's where I'm at today. Amazing. Thank you. Well, I will just ask you one last question okay. just to give you an opportunity to share. What advice would you give to listeners who are 
maybe feeling the similar feelings you were feeling when you read that book a hundred times about the spiritual retreat, you know, they're feeling those inklings of something more coming on, but they're scared and confused and don't know what it is. You know, what would you tell these people as they navigate that? Yeah. Well, what I would tell them is go off alone, be really quiet, go deep within and find out what your deepest desire is and see if you can separate it from all the messages you may have gotten from your family, your culture, your church, your school, your workplace, what are your deepest desires? Because the example used for me, where I got the courage to go to that retreat, if I was reaching way down, like I really wanted to go to that retreat, but I had so much baggage about like, it's all mumbo jumbo and it's all make believe and it's not really real. And how's that going to help me make more money in my business? It turned out it actually helped me a lot in ways I never could have imagined. And so I think, I think everybody knows when they're sitting on the fence and there's that kind of fear, if they reach way down with ultimate honesty, be really true to yourself, you know exactly what you want or need to do in that moment, but you need to disentangle it probably from your ego and the messages of your childhood. And 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 I think if you have the courage to follow that uh, deepest desire, uh, miracles happen, doors open. I mean, because I actually think that's where you're supposed to go. <clears throat> you might say you're following your soul's deepest desire. I love that. Yeah. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much again for coming on today, John. Like truly, this was such a fun conversation and I just love hearing your perspective on all of this. Um, so thank you also to listeners for tuning into this episode. Definitely let us know if you liked it. Reach out to me, reach out to John, leave a rating, leave a review, and I will see you guys on the next one.